0: Chapter One of In Brief Authority. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. In Brief Authority by F. Anstey. Chapter One. To Peggy. Author's Note. It may be as well to mention here that the whole of this book was planned, and at least three-fourths of it actually written, in those happy days which now seem so pathetically distant, when we were still at peace, days when, to all but a very few, so hideous a calamity as a world war, seemed a danger that had passed for the present, and might never recur when even those few could hardly have foreseen that England would be so soon compelled to fight for her very existence against the most efficient and deadly foe it has ever been her lot to encounter. But, as the central idea of this story happens to be inseparably connected with certain characters and incidents of German origin, I have left them unaltered, partly because it would have been difficult, if not impossible, to substitute any others, but mainly because i cannot bring myself to believe that the nursery friends of our youth could ever be regarded as enemies f ensty september nineteen fifteen chapter one the skirts of happy chance on a certain afternoon in march mrs Sidney stimpson or rather mrs Sidney wibberley dash stimpson as a recent legacy from a distant relative had provided her with an excuse for styling herself was sitting alone in her drawing-room at Inglegarth, Gablehurst. Inglegarth was the name she had chosen for the house on coming to live there some years before. What it exactly meant she could not have explained, but it sounded distinguished and out of the common, without being reprehensibly eccentric. Hence the choice. Someone, she was aware, had just entered the carriage-drive, and after having rung was now standing under the wide Queen Anne porch, mitchell the rosy-cheeked and still half-trained parlour-maid was audible in the act of answering the door it being neither a first nor a third friday mrs stimpson was not strictly speaking at home except to very intimate friends though she made a point of being always presentable enough to see any afternoon caller On this occasion she was engaged in no more absorbing occupation than the study of one of the less expensive society journals, and, having already read all that was of real interest in its columns, she was inclined to welcome a distraction. "'If you please, ma'am,' said Mitchell, entering. "'There's a lady wishes to know if she could see you for a minute or two. "'Did you ask her to state her business, Mitchell?' "'No.' "'Then you should have.' called for a subscription to something i expect tell her i am particularly engaged i suppose she didn't give any name oh yes ma'am she give her name lady harriet elmsley it was then why on earth didn't you say so before cried the justly exasperated mrs Wibberley simpson instead of leaving her ladyship on the doormat all this time really mitchell you are too trying go and show her in at once and be careful to say my lady Bring up tea for two as soon as you can, the silver teapot, mind. It might have been inferred from her manner that she and Lady Harriet were in terms of closest friendship, but this was not exactly the case. Mrs. Stimpson had indeed known her for a considerable time, but only by sight, and she had long ceased to consider a visit from Lady Harriet as even a possible event. Now it had actually happened, and providentially, on an afternoon when Mitchell's cap and apron could defy inspection. But if it was the first time that an earl's daughter had crossed Mrs. Timpson's threshold, she was not at all the woman to allow the fact to deprive her of her self-possession. A title had no terror for her. Before her marriage, when she was Miss Selina Princely, she had acted as hostess for her father, the great financier and company promoter, who had entertained lavishly up to the date of his third and final failure her circle then had included many who could boast of knighthoods and even baronetcies and though lady harriet was something of a personage at gablehurst and confined her acquaintance to her own particular set there was nothing formidable or even imposing in her appearance she was the widow of a colonel emsley and apparently left with only moderate means judging from the almost poky house on the farther side of the common which she shared with an unmarried female cousin of about her own age so, when she was shown in, looking quite ordinary, and even a little shy, Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson rose to receive her with perfect ease, being supported by the consciousness that she was by far the more handsomely dressed of the two. In fact, her greeting was so gracious as to be rather overpowering. "'Interrupting me! Not in the very least, dear Lady Harriet! Only too delighted, I'm sure. Now, do take off your boa, and come near the fire.' "'You'll find this quite a comfy chair, I think. "'Tea will be brought in presently. "'Oh, you really must, after traipsing all that way across the common. "'I can't tell you how pleased I am to see you. "'I've so often wished to make your acquaintance, "'but I couldn't take the first step, could I? "'So nice of you to break the ice.' "'Lady Harriet submitted to these rather effusive attentions resignedly enough. "'She could hardly interrupt her hostess's flow of conversation without rudeness.' while she had already begun to suspect that Mrs. Stimpson might form an entertaining study. But her chief reason, after all, was that the prospect of tea had its attractions. Accordingly, she attempted no further explanations of her visit just then, and was content to observe Mrs. Stimpson while she rippled on complacently. She saw a matron who might be about fifty, with abundant pale auburn hair, piled up and framing her face in a sort of half aureole, the eyes were small and hazel-green, the nose narrow and pointed. The wide, full-lipped mouth, which wore just then a lusciously ingratiating smile, showed white but prominent teeth. The complexion was of a uniform oatmealy tint, and though Mrs. Wibberley Stimson was neither tall nor slim, she seemed to have taken some pains to preserve a waist. Most fortunate, I happened to be at home, she was saying. And if you had called on one of my regular days, I shouldn't have had the chance of a real talk with you. As it is, we shall be quite tete-a-tete. Ah, here is tea. You must tell me if you like it weak, dear Lady Harriet, and I shall remember the next time you come. Yes, you find me all alone this afternoon. My eldest daughter, Edna, has gone to a lecture at her Mutual Improvement Society on a German philosopher called Nietzsche, or some such name. She is so bookish and well-read, takes such an interest in all the latest movements— runs up to town for matinees of intellectual dramas, quite the modern type of girl. But not a blue-stocking. She's joined a tango class lately, and dances most beautifully, I'm told. Just a figure for it. We got up a little costume ball here this winter. Perhaps you may have heard of it. Ah well, my Edna was generally admitted to be the belle of the evening. A perfect Juliet, everybody said. I went as her mother. Lady Capulet, you know. I did think of going as Queen Elizabeth at one time. "'I've so often been told that if I ever went to a fancy dress-ball, I ought to go as her. "'Or, at all events, as one of our English queens. "'But, however, I didn't. "'Mr. Stimpson went as a Venetian doge, "'But I do not consider myself that it was at all suitable to him.' "'She did not say all this without a motive. "'She knew that a local historical pageant was being arranged for the coming summer, "'and that Lady Harriet was on the committee.' also she had heard that after rehearsals had begun some of the principal performers had resigned their parts and the committee had some difficulty in finding substitutes it had struck her as not at all unlikely that her visitor had called with a view to ascertaining whether the services of any of the stimpson household would be available if she had it was of course very gratifying if she had merely come in a neighbourly way there was no harm in directing her attention to the family qualifications for pageant performance the hearer, without betraying any sign of the mirth she inwardly felt meekly agreed that mrs stimpson was undoubtedly well fitted to impersonate a queen and that the costume of a venetian doge was rather a trying one after which her hostess proceeded perhaps you are right dear lady harriet but the worst of it was that my boy clarence who would have made such a handsome romeo insisted on going as a Piero." very likely you have seen clarence oh you would certainly have noticed him if you had always so well turned out. He's got quite a good post as secretary to an insurance company in the city. They think so highly of him there, take his advice on everything. In fact, he practically is the company. And only twenty-two. It's such a relief, because there was a time when it really seemed as if he'd never settled down to any regular work. Nothing would induce him to enter my husband's business. For I must tell you, Lady Harriet, we are in business. Sauces, pickles, condiments of every sort and description wholesale you know not retail so i hope you aren't too dreadfully shocked lady harriet remarked that she saw nothing to be shocked at several of her relations and friends were in business of various kinds which gave mrs wibberley stimpson the opening she required society has changed its views so much lately has it not she said why the youngest partner in mr wibberley stimpson's firm is a younger son of the Earl of Fallowfields, Mr. Turville Thistleton, and an Honourable, of course. I dare say you're acquainted with him. Not? Quite a charming young man, married to Miss Suckery, a connection of the thoroughs, and such a sweet girl. You may have met her. Oh, I thought, but I really hardly know her myself yet, which was Mrs. Stimpson's method of disguising the fact that she had never met either of them in her life.' When he came into the warehouse he was perfectly amazed at the immense variety in pickles and sauces. It was quite a revelation to him, only he can't touch pickles of any kind, which is a pity, because it prevents him from taking the interest he might in the business. Just one of these hot cakes, dear Lady Harriet, you are making such a wretched tea. I should like you to see my youngest child, Ruby. She has gone out to tea with some little friends of hers, but she may be back before you go. So much admired, such lovely colouring but just a little difficult to manage. Governors after governors have I had, and none of them could do anything with her. My present one, however, she seems to have taken to. Miss Heritage, her name is. At least, she was adopted as a baby by a rich widow of that name, and brought up in every luxury. But Mrs. Heritage died without making a will, and it seems she'd muddled away most of her money, and there were claims on what she left, so the poor girl had to turn out and earn her own living. Such a sad little story, is it not? I felt it was really a charity to engage her. I'm not sure that I can keep her much longer, though. She's far too good-looking for a governess, and there's always a danger with a marriageable young man in the house. But fortunately Clarence has too much sense and principle to marry out of his own rank. I do think that's such a mistake, don't you, dear Lady Harriet? Look at the Duke of Montreville's heir, the young Marquis of Muscombe, married only last month at a registry office to a girl who was in the chorus at the vivacity, "'I hear she comes of quite a respectable family and all that,' admitted Mrs. Stimpson, who derived her information from her society journals. "'But still, can you wonder at the poor Duke and Duchess being upset by it? "'I have no doubt you are constantly coming across similar instances in smart society.' Lady Harriet disclaimed all acquaintanceship with smart society, which Mrs. Stimpson protested she could not believe. "'I am sure you have the entree into any set, Lady Harriet,' Even the smartest. Which reminds me, have you heard anything more about that mysterious disappearance of the Dowager Duchess of Gleneagle's Diamonds during her journey from the North last week? A tiara and a dog collar, I was told. Professional thieves, I suppose, but don't you think the Duchess is made? Oh, really? I made sure you would be a friend of the Duchess's, but, of course, society is so much larger than it used to be. "'You are a far better authority than I can pretend to be about it,' Lady Harriet owned smilingly. "'And really, you've given me so much interesting information that I'd nearly forgotten what I came to see you about. It's—well, I wanted to ask—' "'I think I can guess, Lady Harriet,' put in Mrs. Stimpson, as a visitor paused for a second. "'I've heard of your difficulties about getting players for the pageant, and I'm sure I, and indeed all the family, would feel only too honoured. It's most kind of you, Lady Harriet interrupted, rising, but—but but that isn't why I've troubled you. It's only that I'm thinking of engaging Jane Saunders as house-parlour-maid, and she tells me she was in your service, so I called to ask about her character, don't you know? For a moment Mrs. Wibberly Stimpson wished she had been less precipitate, but she soon recognized that no real harm had been done. Saunders, she said. Yes, she left me last month. Do sit down again, dear Lady Harriet, and I'll give you all the information I possibly can. Well, when that girl first came, she had everything to learn. It was quite evident she had never been in service before with gentlefolks. Actually brought in letters in her fingers, Lady Harriet, and knocked at sitting-room doors. And no notion of cleaning silver, but I like to see mine come up to table without a speck. However, after being with me for a while, she improved— and I can conscientiously say that she became quite competent in time. That is, for a household like ours, you know, where things are done in quite an unpretentious style. "'I don't think we are at all pretentious people either,' said Lady Harriet, rising once more. "'And now, Mrs. Stimpson, you have told me all I wanted to know, so I must tear myself away.' "'Must you really be going?' "'Well, Lady Harriet, I so much enjoyed our little chat.' "'There are so few persons in a semi-suburban neighbourhood like this with whom one can have anything in common, so I shall hope to see more of you in future, and if,' she added after ringing for Mitchell, "'I should find I have forgotten anything I ought to have told you about Saunders, I can easily pop in some morning.' Lady Harriet hastened to assure her that she must not think of giving herself this trouble, after which she took her leave. "'Rather an amusing experience in its way,' she was thinking.' something to tell Joan when I get back. But, oh, what an appalling woman! She settled one thing, though. It will be quite impossible to take Jane Saunders now. A pity, because I rather like the girl's looks!' Meanwhile the happily unconscious Mrs. Timpson had settled down in her chair again, with the conviction that she had made a distinctly favourable impression. She allowed her eyes to wander complacently around the room, which, with its big bay window looking on the semicircular gravel sweep, and its glazed door by the fireplace leading through a small conservatory, gay with begonias, asters and petunias, to the garden beyond, was not merely large by Gablehurst standards, but undeniably pleasant. She regarded its various features, the white chimney-piece and overmantel with Adam decorations in carton-pierre, the silk fire-screen printed with Japanese photographs, the cottage grand on which stood a tall trumpet vase filled with branches of imitation peach blossom the etageres louis quinze's style containing china which could not be told from genuine dresden at a distance the gaily patterned chintz on the couches and chairs the watercolor sketches of venice and coloured terra-cotta plucks embossed on high relief with views of the forum and st peter's at rome on the walls and numerous knick-knacks an alabaster model of the leaning tower of pisa a wood carving of the lion of lucerne and groups of bears from Bern, all of which were not only souvenirs of her wedding journey but witnesses to continental travel and general culture she could see nothing that was not in the most correct taste as lady harriet must have observed for herself together with the hammered copper gong the oak chest and the china bowl for cards in the hall strange that saunders should have been the humble means of bringing about so unexpected a meeting but providence chose its own instruments and now the seed was sown mrs stimpson felt she could rely on herself for the harvest and so she took up the latest number of the upper circle and read to the accompaniment of alternate dialogues and soliloquies by thrushes and blackbirds in the garden until gradually she drifted into a blissful dream of being at a garden party at lady harriet's and entreated not merely by her hostess but royalty itself to accept the role of queen at the county pageant she was in the act of doing this gracefully when the vision was abruptly ended by the entrance of her elder daughter. Edna was by no means bad looking, in spite of her light eyelashes and eyebrows, and the fact that the pince she wore compressed her small nose in an unbecoming ridge. Her eyes were larger than her mother's, though of the same color, and her hair was of a deeper shade of auburn. Her costume was of a kind that may be described as the floppily artistic. I never heard you come in, my dear, said her mother. Did you enjoy your lecture? Quite. I took pages and pages of notes. Nietzsche's Gospel of the Superman is certainly most striking. And what is his Gospel exactly? Oh, well, he teaches that the ideal man ought to rise superior to conventional prejudices and have the courage to do as he thinks right without deferring to ordinary ideas, to be strong in willing what he wants, all that sort of thing, you know. "'Dear me,' said Mrs. Stimpson, dubiously, "'but if everybody acted like that, would it be quite... Uh, nice?' "'There's no fear of any of the men in Gablehurst being Superman at all events,' said Edna. "'They're all perfect slaves to convention. But the lecturer explained the Nietzschean theories in such a way that he made us feel there was a great deal to be said for them. "'No tea, thanks. I would mine at the Fletcher's.' "'It looks,' she added, with a glance at the teacups, "'As if you had been entertaining someone, mother. Who was it?' "'Only Lady Harriet,' replied Mrs. Stimpson with elaborate carelessness. "'What Lady Harriet?' was the intentionally provoking query. "'Really, Edna, one would think there were dozens of them. "'The Lady Harriet. "'Lady Harriet Elmsley, of course.' "'Oh,' said Edna, "'and what did she want?' "'Well, she came to ask after Saunders' character, "'but she stayed to tea, "'and we really struck up quite an intimate friendship.' "'discussing one thing and another. "'She's so quiet and unassuming, Edna. "'Absolutely no hauteur. "'I'm sure you will like her. "'I told her about you all, and she seemed so interested. "'Quite between ourselves, I shouldn't be at all surprised "'if she got us invited to take part in the pageant. "'She's on the committee, you know. "'If I was invited, mother, I'm not at all sure I shouldn't refuse.' "'You must please yourself about that, my dear,' said Mrs. Timpson who perhaps felt but little anxiety as to the result. I shall certainly accept if the part is at all suitable. She might have said more if Ruby had not suddenly burst into the room. Ruby was suddenly the flower of the family, an extremely engaging young person of about ten, whose mischievous golden-brown eyes had long and curling lashes, and whose vivacious face was set off by a thick mane of deepest Titian red. "'Oh, mummy!' she announced breathlessly. "'I've got invitations for nearly all my animals while we're away at Eastbourne. Mucius scaevulus, the most popular. Everybody asked him, but I think he'll feel most at home with Daisy Williams. Vivian and Ada Porter will simply love to have Numa Pompilius, but nobody seems to want Tarquinius Superbus, so I shall turn him out in the garden, and he must catch worms for himself.' "'Dearest child,' said her mother, "'what are these new animals of yours with the extraordinary names?' "'They're the same old animals, mums. "'I've rechristened them since I began Roman history with Miss Heritage. Mucius scuvelas, the salamander, because they're indifferent to fire like he was. "'Though Miss Heritage says it wouldn't be kind to try with Mucius. "'Numa Pompilius is the blind worm. "'He used to be car. "'And the toad has changed from nobles to tocrinius superbus.' "'I can't understand how you can keep such unpleasant pets as reptiles,' said Edna. "'Because I like them,' said Ruby simply. "'And Bobby Williams has promised, as soon as it gets warmer, to come out on the common with me and catch lizards. "'Won't it be lovely?' "'I hope you won't put one of them down anybody's neck, then, "'as you did to Tommy Fletcher.' "'That was Mucius," Ruby admitted cheerfully. "'But I didn't mean him to go so far down. "'And he was very good. "'He didn't bite Tommy anywhere.' "'Little ladies don't play such tricks,' said her mother.' "'I hope Miss Heritage doesn't encourage your liking for these horrid creatures.' "'Oh, she doesn't mind, so long as I don't take them out of the aquarium. But she hates touching them herself.' "'Did she come in with you?' her mother inquired, and was told that Miss Heritage had done so, and had gone upstairs, whereupon Ruby was ordered to go and take off her things, and stay quietly in the schoolroom till it was time to come down. "'I don't know if you noticed it, mother,' Edna began, as soon as Ruby had consented to leave them. But Miss Heritage had a letter by the afternoon post, which seemed to upset her. I went rather out of my way to ask her if she had had bad news of any kind, but she did not think proper to take me into her confidence. Perhaps she might be more open with you. "'My dear,' said Mrs. Wibberley-Stimpson, with much dignity, "'I take no interest whatever in Miss Heritage's private correspondence.' "'Nor I,' declared Edna. "'I only thought that if she's in any trouble... "'She's so secretive, you know, mums. "'I've tried more than once to get her to tell me "'what cosmetics she uses for her hands, "'and she never will own to using any at all.' "'I'm sure, Edna, you've no reason to be ashamed of your hands.' "'Oh, they look all right just now,' said Edna, "'examining them dispassionately. "'But they will turn lobster colour at the most inconvenient times. "'Hers never do, and it does seem so unfair, considering... She broke off here as Daphne Heritage entered. "'Well, Miss Heritage,' said Mrs. Stimpson, as the girl hesitated on seeing Edna, "'did you wish to speak to me?' "'I did rather want your advice about something,' said Daphne, who had a paper and a small leather case in her hands. "'I thought I might find you alone. It doesn't matter. It will do quite well another time.' "'Don't let me prevent you, Miss Heritage,' said Edna." If you don't wish to speak to mother before me, I have no desire to remain, I'm just going up to change in any case. She went out with a slightly huffy air, which was not entirely due to baffled curiosity, for she admired Daphne enough to resent being quietly kept at a distance. It's about this, explained Daphne, after Edna had made her exit, a bill that has just been sent on to me. She gave the paper to Mrs. Timpson as she spoke. I don't know quite what to do about it. She looked very young and inexperienced as she stood there, a slim, girlish figure with masses of burnished hair the colour of ripe corn, braided and coiled as closely as possible round her small head, but there was no trace of timidity or subservience in her manner. In the slight form, with the milk-white skin, delicate profile and exquisite hands, there was a distinction that struck her employer as quite absurdly out of keeping with her position. "'The only thing to do about a bill, my dear,' Said Mrs. Timpson, is to pay it, but nearly thirty pounds is a large sum for you to owe your milliner. It's for things mother, my adopted mother, you know, ordered for me. Stephanie was always told to send in the account to her, but this seems to have been overlooked, and the executors have sent it on to me. Only I can't pay it myself, unless you wouldn't mind advancing me the money out of my salary. I couldn't possibly." You forget that it would represent over a year's salary, and it's by no means certain that you'll be with me so long. "'I was afraid you wouldn't,' said Daphne, with a little droop at the corners of her extremely pretty mouth. "'So I brought this to show you.' She held out the letter-case. "'It's the only jewellery I've got. It belonged to my father, I believe. He and my real mother both died when I was a baby, you know, and I never meant to part with it. But now I'm afraid I must. That is... "'if you think any jeweller would give as much as thirty pounds for it.' Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson opened the case, which was much more modern than the kind of badge or pendant it contained. This was a fairly large oval stone of milky green, deeply engraved with strangely formed letters interlaced in a cipher, and surrounded by a border of dark blue gems, which Mrs. Stimpson decided instantly must be cabochon-star sapphires of quite exceptional quality.' The gold chain attached to it was antique, and of fine and curious workmanship. She was convinced that the pendant must be worth considerably more than thirty pounds, though she was no doubt right in telling Daphne that no jeweller would offer so much for an ornament that was quite out of fashion. "'Besides,' she said, "'I don't like the idea of any governess of mine going about offering jewellery for sale. Have Edna or Ruby seen you wearing this thing?' she asked with apparent irrelevance. appeared they had not. Daphne had never worn it herself, and she had only remembered its existence that afternoon, and found it hidden away at the back of her wardrobe. Well, said Mrs. Timpson, it is most unpleasant to me to see a young girl like you owing all this money to her milliner. It isn't very pleasant for me, said Daphne, ruefully, but if you won't advance the money, and I can't or mustn't sell the pendant, I don't very well see how I can help it. "'I'll tell you what I'll do,' said Mrs. Timpson. "'I really oughtn't to, and under ordinary circumstances I couldn't afford it. But, as it happens, a great-uncle of mine left me a small legacy not long ago, and I haven't spent quite all of it yet. So I don't mind buying this for thirty pounds myself.' "'Will you really?' cried Daphne. "'How angelic of you!' "'I think it is,' said Mrs. Timpson. "'But I feel myself responsible for you, to some extent.' "'So I'll write you a cheque for the thirty pounds, and you can send it off to this milliner person at once.' "'She went to the writing-table, and filled up the cheque. "'There,' she said, handing it to Daphne. "'Put it in an envelope, and direct it at once. "'You'll find a stamp in that box, and can go by the next post.' "'By the way, my dear,' she added, as she was leaving the room, "'I needn't tell you that I shall not breathe a word to a soul of our little transaction.' That I should advise you, in your own interests, to keep it entirely to yourself. I was quite wrong about Mrs. Stimpson. Daphne told herself reproachfully after she had slipped the letter containing bill and cheque into the letter box in the hall. She can be kind sometimes, and I've been a little beast to see only the comic side of her. I dare say she won't even wear that pendant. But Mrs. Stimpson had every intention of wearing it that same evening. It is not often that one has the opportunity of doing a kindness and securing a real bargain at a single stroke, and she knew enough about jewels to be fully aware that, if the ornament was a trifle old-fashioned, she had not done at all badly over her purchase. It really suits me very well, she thought, as, after putting the last touches to her evening demi-toilette, she fastened the pendant round her neck. Even better than I expected. It was lucky Miss Heritage came to me. A jeweller would have been sure to cheat her, poor child! And she went down to the drawing-room, feeling serenely satisfied with herself. End of chapter 1